Chapter 13. I Face the Killer Turkey. My turn. First of all, Sadie's puppy dog comment was totally out of line. I was not starry-eyed about Zia. It's just that I don't meet a lot of people who can throw fireballs and battle gods. Stop making faces at me, Sadie. You look like Khufu. Anyway, we plunged into the sand tunnel. Everything went dark. My stomach tingled with that top of the roller coaster weightlessness as I hurtled forward. Hot sands whipped around me and my skin burned. Then I tumbled out onto a cold tile floor and Seda and Zia crashed on top of me. Ow, I grumbled. The first thing I noticed was the fine layer of sand covering my body like powdered sugar. Then my eyes adjusted to the harsh light. We were in a big building, like a shopping mall, with crowds bustling around us. No, not a mall. It was a two-level airport concourse, with shops, lots of windows, and polished steel columns. Outside it was dark, so I knew we must be in a different time zone. Announcements echoed over the intercom in a language that sounded like Arabic. Sadie spit sand out of her mouth. Yuck! Come on, Zia said, we can't stay here. I struggled to my feet. People were streaming past, some in western clothes, some in robes and headscarves. A family arguing in German rushed by and almost ran me over with their suitcases. Then I turned and saw something I recognized. In the middle of the concourse stood a life-size replica of an ancient Egyptian boat made from glowing display cases, a sales counter for perfume and jewelry. This is the Cairo airport, I said. Yes, Zia said. Now let's go. Why the rush can circuit? Can she follow us through the sand gate? Zia shook her head. An artifact overheats when it creates a gate. It requires a 12-hour cooldown before it can be used again. But we will have to worry about airport security. Unless you'd like to meet the Egyptian police, you'll come with me now. She grabbed our arms and steered us through the crowd. We must have looked like beggars in our old-fashioned clothes, covered head-to-toe in sand. People gave us a wide berth, but nobody tried to stop us. Why are we here? Sadie demanded. To see the ruins of Heliopolis, Zia said. Inside an airport? Sadie asked. I remembered something Dad had told me years ago and my scalp tingled. Sadie, the ruins are under us. I looked at Zia. That's right, isn't it? She nodded. The ancient city was pillaged centuries ago. Some of its monuments were carried away, like Cleopatra's two needles. Most of its temples were broken down to make new buildings. What was left under Cairo's suburbs? The largest section is under the airport. And how does that help us? Sadie asked. Zia kicked down a maintenance door. On the other side was a broom closet. Zia muttered a command. Sahab. And the image of the closet shimmered and disappeared, revealing a set of stone steps leading down. Because not all Heliopolis, Heliopolis is in ruins, Zia said. Follow closely and touch nothing. 
The stairs must have led down about seven million miles because we descended forever. The passage had been made for miniature people, too. We had to crouch and crawl most of the way. And even so, I bonked my head on the ceiling a dozen times. The only light was from a ball of fire in Zia's palm, which made shadows dance across the walls. I'd been in places like this before. Tunnels inside pyramids, tombs my dad had excavated, but I've never liked them. Millions of ton of rock above me seemed to crush the air out of my lungs. Finally, we reached the bottom. The tunnel opened up and Zia stopped abruptly. After my eyes adjusted, I saw why. We were standing at the end of a chasm. A single wooded plank spanned the void. On the opposite ledge, two jackal-headed granite warriors flanked a doorway. Their spears crossed over the entrance. Sadie sighed. Please, no more psychotic statues. Do not joke, Zia warned. This is an entrance to the first gnome, the oldest branch of the House of Life, headquarters for all magicians. My job was to bring you here safely, but I cannot help you cross. Each magician must unbar the path for herself, and the challenge is different for each supplicant. She looked at Sadie expectantly, which annoyed me. First Bast, now Zia. Both of them treated Sadie like she should have some kind of superpowers. I mean, okay, so she'd been able to blast the library doors apart, but why didn't anyone look at me to do cool tricks? Plus, I was still annoyed with Sadie for the comments she'd made at the museum in New York. How I had it so good traveling the world with Dad. She had no idea how often I wanted to complain about the constant traveling how many days I wished I didn't have to get on a plane and could just be like a normal kid going to school and making friends. But I couldn't complain. You always have to look impeccable, Dad had told me. And he didn't just mean my clothes, he meant my attitude. With Mom gone, I was all he had. Dad needed me to be strong. Most days, I didn't mind. I loved my dad, but it was also hard. Sadie didn't understand that. She had it easy. And now she seemed to be getting all the attention, as if she were the special one. It wasn't fair. Then I heard Dad's voice in my head. Fairness means everyone gets what they need. And the only way to get what you need in life is to make it happen yourself. I don't know what got into me but I drew my sword and marched across the plank. It was like my legs were working by themselves, not waiting for my brain. Part of me thought, this is a really bad idea. But part of me answered, no, we do not fear this. And the voice didn't sound like mine. Carter, Sadie cried. I kept walking. I tried not to look down at the yawning void under my feet but the sheer size of the chasm made me dizzy. I felt like one of those gyroscope toys, spinning and wobbling as I crossed the narrow plank. 
As I got closer to the opposite side, the doorway between the two statues began to glow like a curtain of red light. I took a deep breath. Maybe the red light was a portal, like the gate of sand. If I just charged through fast enough, then the first dagger shot out of the tunnel. My sword was in motion before I realized it. The dagger should have impaled me in the chest, but somehow I deflected it with my blade and sent it sailing into the abyss. Two more daggers shot out of the tunnel. I had never had the best reflexes, but now they sped up. I ducked one dagger and hooked the other with the curved blade of my sword, turned the dagger, and flung it back into the tunnel. How the heck did I do that? I advanced to the end of the plank and slashed through the red light, which flickered and died. I waited for the statues to come alive, but nothing happened. The only sound was a dagger clattering against the rocks in the chasm far below. The doorway seemed to glow again. The red light coalesced into a strange form. A five-foot-tall bird with a man's head. I raised my sword, but Zia yelled, Carter, no! The bird creature folded his wings. His eyes, lined with coal, narrowed as they studied me. A black ornamental wig glistened on his head, and his, va- his face was etched with wrinkles. One of those fake braided pharaoh beards was stuck on his chin like a backward ponytail. He didn't look hostile, except for the red flickering light all around him, and the fact that from the neck down, he was the world's largest killer turkey. Then a chilling thought occurred to me. This was a bird with a human head, the same form I'd imagined taking when I slept in Amos's house, when my soul left my body and flew to Phoenix. I had no idea what that meant, but it scared me. The bird creature scratched at the stone floor, then suddenly, unexpectedly, he smiled. Paris, Niswa, Nafir, he told me. Or at least that's what it sounded like. Zia gasped. She and Sadie were standing behind me now, their faces pale. Apparently, they'd managed to cross the chasm without my noticing. Finally, Zia seemed to collect herself. She bowed to the bird creature. Sadie followed her example. The creature winked at me as if we'd shared a joke. Then he vanished. The red light faded. The statues retracted their arms, uncrossing their spears from the entrance. That's it? I asked. What did the turkey say? Zia looked at me with something like fear. That was not a turkey, Carter. That was a ba. I'd heard my dad use that word before, but I couldn't place it. Another monster? A human soul, Zia said. In this case, a spirit of the dead, a magician from ancient times, come back to serve as a guardian. They watch the entrances of the house. She studied my face as if I'd just developed some terrible rash. What? I demanded. What are you looking at me that way for? Nothing, she said. We must hurry. 
She squeezed by me on the ledge and disappeared into the tunnel. Sadie was staring at me, too. All right, I said. What did the bird guy say? You understood it? She nodded uneasily. He mistook you for someone else. He must have bad eyesight. Because? Because he said, Go forth, good king. I was in a daze after that. We passed through the tunnel and entered a vast underground city of halls and chambers. But I only remember bits and pieces of it. The ceiling soared to 20 or 30 feet, so it didn't feel like we were underground. Every chamber was lined with massive stone columns, like the ones we'd seen in Egyptian ruins. But these were in perfect condition. Brightly painted to resemble palm trees, with carved green fronds at the top, so I felt like I was walking through a petrified forest. Fires burned in copper braziers. They didn't seem to make any smoke, but the air smelled good, like a marketplace for spices. Cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, and others I couldn't identify. The city smelled like Zia. I realized that this was her home. We saw a few other people, mostly older men and women, some wore linen robes, some modern clothes. One guy in a business suit walked past with a black leopard on a leash, as if that were completely normal. Another guy barked orders to a small army of brooms, mops, and buckets that were scuttling around, cleaning up the city. Like the cartoon, Sadie said, where Mickey Mouse tries to do magic and the brooms keep splitting and toting water. The sorcerer's apprentice, Zia said. You do know that was based on an Egyptian story, don't you? Sadie just stared back. I knew how she felt. It was too much to process. We walked through a hall of jackal-headed statues, and I could swear their eyes watched us as we passed. A few minutes later, Zia led us through an open-air market. If you can call anything open air, underground, with dozens of stalls selling weird items like boomerang wands, animated clay dolls, parrots, cobras, papyrus scrolls, and hundreds of different glittering amulets. Next, we crossed a path of stones over a dark river teeming with fish. I thought they were perch until I saw their vicious teeth. Are those piranhas? I asked. Tigerfish from the Nile, Zia said. Like piranhas, except these fish can weigh up to 16 pounds. I watched my step more closely after that. We turned a corner and passed an ornate building carved out of black rock. Seated pharaohs were chiseled into the walls and the doorway was shaped like a coiled serpent. What's in there? Sadie asked. We peeked inside and saw rows of children, maybe two dozen in all, about six to ten years old or so, sitting cross-legged on cushions. They were hunched over brass bowls, peering intently into some sort of liquid and speaking under their breath. At first, I thought it was a classroom, but there was no sign of a teacher, and the chamber was lit only by a few candles. Judging by the number of empty seats, the room was meant to hold twice as many kids.
our initiates, Zia said, learning to scry. Their first gnome must keep in contact with our brethren all over the world. We use our youngest as operators, I suppose you would say. So you've got bases like this all over the world? Most are much smaller, but yes. I remembered what Amos had told us about the gnomes. Egypt is the first gnome. New York is the 21st. What's the last one? The 360th. That would be Antarctica, Zia said. A punishment assignment. Nothing there but a couple of cold magicians and some magic penguins. Magic penguins? Don't ask. Sadie pointed to the children inside. How does it work? They see images in the water? It's oil, Zia said, but yes. So few, Sadie said. Are these the only initiates in the whole city? In the whole world, Zia corrected. There were more before. She stopped herself. Before what? I asked. Nothing, Zia said darkly. Initiates do our scrying because young minds are most receptive. Magicians begin training no later than the age of ten, with a few dangerous exceptions. You mean us, I said. She glanced at me apprehensively, and I knew she was still thinking about what the bird spirit had called me. A good king. It seems so unreal. Like our family name in the blood of the pharaoh scroll? How could I be related to some ancient kings? And even if I was, I certainly wasn't a king. I had no kingdom. I didn't even have my single suitcase anymore. They'll be waiting for you, Zia said. Come along. We walked so far, my feet began to ache. Finally, we arrived at a crossroads. On the right was a massive set of bronze doors with fires blazing on either side. On the left, a 20-foot-tall sphinx carved into the wall. A doorway nestled between its paws, but it was bricked in and covered in cobwebs. That looks like the Sphinx at Giza, I said. That's because we are directly under the real Sphinx, Zia said. That tunnel leads straight up to it, or it used to, before it was sealed. But... I did some quick calculations in my head. The Sphinx is like 20 miles from the Cairo airport. Roughly. No way we've walked that far. Zia actually smiled. And I couldn't help noticing how pretty her eyes were. Distance changes in magic places, Carter. Surely you've learned that by now. Sadie cleared her throat. So why is the tunnel closed then? The Sphinx was too popular with archaeologists, Zia said. They kept digging around. Finally, in the 1980s, they discovered the first part of the tunnel under the Sphinx. Dad told me about that, I said, but he said the tunnel was a dead end. It was when we got through with it. We couldn't let the archaeologists know how much they're missing. Egypt's leading archaeologists recently speculated that they've only discovered 30% of the ancient ruins in Egypt. In truth, 
they've only discovered one-tenth, and not even the interesting tenth. What about King Tut's tomb? I protested. That boy king? Zia rolled her eyes. Boring. You should see some of the good tombs. I felt a little hurt. Dad had named me after Howard Carter, the guy who discovered King Tut's tomb, so I'd always felt a personal attachment to it. If that wasn't a good tomb, I wondered what was. Zia turned to face the bronze doors. This is the Hall of Ages. She placed her palm against the seal, which bore the symbol of the House of Life. The hieroglyphs began to glow and the doors swung open. Zia turned to us, her expression deadly serious. You are about to meet the chief lector. Behave yourselves, unless you wish to be turned into insects. Chapter 14. A French Guy Almost Kills Us The last couple of days I'd seen a lot of crazy things, but the Hall of Ages took the prize. Double rows of stone pillars held up a ceiling so high you could have parked a blimp under it with no trouble. A shimmering blue carpet that looked like water ran down the center of the hall, which was so long I couldn't see the end, even though it was brightly lit. Balls of fire floated around like helium basketballs, changing color whenever they bumped into one another. Millions of tiny hieroglyphic symbols also drifted through the air, randomly combining into words and then breaking apart. I grabbed a pair of glowing red legs. They walked across my palm before jumping off and dissolving. The weirdest things were the displays. I didn't know what else to call them. Between the columns on either side of us, images shifted, coming into focus and then blurring out again like holograms in a sandstorm. Come on, Zia told us, and don't spend too much time looking. It was impossible not to. The first 20 feet or so, the, ma the magical scenes cast a golden light across the hall. A blazing sun rose above an ocean. A mountain emerged from the water and I had the feeling I was watching the beginning of the world. Giants strode around the Nile Valley, a man with black skin and the head of a jackal, a lioness with bloody fangs, a beautiful woman with wings of light. Sadie stepped off the rug. In a trance, she reached towards the images. Stay on the carpet. Zia grabbed Sadie's hand and pulled her back towards the center of the hall. You are seeing the age of the gods. No mortal should dwell on these images. But, Sadie blinked, they're only pictures, aren't they? Memories, Zia said, so powerful they could destroy your mind. Oh, Sadie said in a small voice. We kept walking. The images changed to silver. I saw armies clashing. Egyptians in kilts and sandals and leather armor fighting with spears. A tall, dark-skinned man in red and white armor placed a double crown on his head. Narmer, the king who united Upper and Lower Egypt. Sadie was right. He did look a bit like Dad. This is the Old Kingdom, I guessed. The first great age of Egypt. Zia nodded. As we walked down the hall, we saw workers building the first step pyramid out of stone. Another few steps and the biggest pyramid of all rose 
from the desert at Giza. Its outer layer of smooth white casing stones gleamed in the sun. 10,000 workers gathered at its base and knelt before the pharaoh who raised his hands to the sun, dedicating his own tomb. Khufu, I said. The baboon? Sadie asked, suddenly interested. No, the pharaoh who built the Great Pyramid, I said. It was the tallest structure in the world for almost 4,000 years. Another few steps and the images turned from silver to coppery. The Middle Kingdom, Zia announced. A bloody, chaotic time. And yet, this is when the House of Life came to maturity. The scenes shifted more rapidly. We watched armies fighting, temples being built, ships sailing on the Nile, and magicians throwing fire. Every step covered hundreds of years, and yet the hall still went on forever. For the first time, I understood how ancient Egypt was. We crossed another threshold and the light turned bronze. The new kingdom, I guessed. The last time Egypt was ruled by Egyptians. Zia said nothing. But I watched scenes passing that my dad had described to me. Hatshepsut, the greatest female pharaoh, putting on a fake beard and ruling Egypt as a man. Ramses the Great leading his chariots into battle. I saw magicians dueling in a palace. A man in tattered robes with a shaggy black beard and wild eyes threw down a staff which turned into a serpent and devoured a dozen other snakes. I got a lump in my throat. Is that? Musa, Zia said, or Moshi, as his own people knew him. You call him Moses, the only foreigner ever to defeat the House of Magic in a duel. I stared at her. You're kidding, right? We would not kid about such a thing. The scene shifted again. I saw a man standing over a table of battle figurines, wooden toy ships, soldiers, and chariots. The man was dressed like a pharaoh, but his face looked oddly familiar. He looked up and seemed to smile right at me. With a chill, I realized he had the same face as the Ba, the bird-faced spirit who challenged me on the bridge. Who is that? I asked. Nectanebo II, Zia said, the last native Egyptian king and the last sorcerer pharaoh. He could move entire armies, create or destroy navies by moving a piece on his board. But in the end, it was not enough. We stepped over another line, and the images shimmered blue. These are the Ptolemaic times, Zia said. Alexander the Great conquered the known world, including Egypt. He set up his general, Ptolemy, as the new pharaoh, and founded a line of Greek kings to rule over Egypt. The Ptolemaic section of the hall was shorter and seemed sad compared to all the others. The temples were smaller, the kings and queens looked desperate, or lazy, or simply apathetic. There were no great battles except toward the end. I saw Romans march into the city of Alexandria. I saw a woman with dark hair and a white dress drop a snake into her blouse. Cleopatra, Zia said, the seventh queen of that name. She tried to stand against the might of Rome, and she lost. When she took her life, 
the last land of pharaohs ended. Egypt, the great nation, faded. Our language was forgotten. The ancient rites were suppressed. The house of life survived, but we were forced into hiding. We passed into an area of red light, and history began to look familiar. I saw Arab armies riding into Egypt, then the Turks. Napoleon marched his army under the shadow of the pyramids. The British came and built the Suez Canal. Slowly, Cairo grew into a modern city, and the old ruins faded further and further into the sand of the desert. Each year, Zia said, the Hall of Ages grows longer to encompass our history up until the present. I was so dazed I didn't even realize we'd reached the end of the hall until Sadie grabbed my arm. In front of us stood a dais and on it an empty throne, a gilded wooden chair and a flail and a shepherd's hook carved in the back, the ancient symbols of the pharaoh. On the step below the throne sat an old, the oldest man I'd ever seen. His skin was like lunch bag paper, brown, thin, and crinkled. White robes hung loosely off his small frame. A leopard skin was draped around his shoulders, and his hand shakily held a big wooden staff, which I was sure he was going to drop any minute. But weirdest of all, the glowing hieroglyphs in the air seemed to be coming from him. Multicolored symbols popped up all around him and floated as if he were some sort of magic bubble machine. At first I wasn't even sure he was alive. His milky eyes stared into space. Then he focused on me, and electricity coursed through my body. He wasn't just looking at me, he was scanning me. Reading my entire being. Hide, something inside me said. I didn't know where the voice came from, but my stomach clenched. My whole body tensed as if I were bracing for a hit, and the electrical feeling subsided. The old man raised an eyebrow as if I'd surprised him. He glanced behind him and said something in a language I didn't recognize. A second man stepped out of the shadows. I wanted to yelp. He was the guy who had been with Zia in the British Museum, the one with the cream-colored robes and the forked beard. The bearded man glanced at Sadie and me. I am Desjardins, he said with a French accent. My master, Chief Lector Iskander, welcomes you to the House of Life. I couldn't think what to say to that, so of course I asked a stupid question. He's really old. Why isn't he sitting on the throne? Desjardins' nostrils flared, but the old dude, Iskander just chuckled and said something else in that other language. This Jardins translated stiffly. The master says, thank you for noticing. He is, in fact, really old. But the throne is for the pharaoh. It has been vacant since the fall of Egypt to Rome. It is, como dit-on, symbolic. The chief lector's role is to serve and protect the pharaoh. Therefore, he sits at the foot of the throne. I looked at Iskander a little nervously. I wondered how many years he'd been sitting on that step. If you, if he can understand English, what language is he speaking? Desdardin sniffed. 
The chief lector understands many things, but he prefers to speak Alexandrian Greek, his birth tongue. Sadie cleared her throat. Sorry, his birth tongue? Wasn't Alexander the Great way back in the blue section thousands of years ago? You make it sound like Lord Salamander is Lord Iskander, Desjardins hissed. Show respect. Something clicked in my mind. Back in Brooklyn, Amos had talked about the magician's law against summoning gods, a law made in Roman times by Chief Lector Iskander. Surely it had to be a different guy. Maybe we were talking to Iskander the 17th or something. The old man looked me in the eyes. He smiled as if he knew exactly what I was thinking. He said something else in Greek, and Desjardins translated. The master says not to worry. He will not be held responsible for the past crimes of your family, at least not until we have investigated you further. Gee, thanks, I said. Do not mock our generosity, boy, Desjardins warned. Your father broke our most important law twice, once at Cleopatra's Needle when he summoned the gods, and your mother died assisting him. Then again at the British Museum, when your father was foolish enough to use the Rosetta Stone itself. Now your uncle too is missing. You know what happened to Amos? Sadie blurted out. Desjardins scowled. Not yet, he admitted. You have to find him, Sadie cried. Don't you have some sort of GPS magic or... We are searching, Desjardins said, but you cannot worry about Amos. You must stay here. You must be trained. I got the impression he was going to say a different word, something not as nice as trained. Iskander spoke directly to me. His tone sounded kindly. The master warns that the demon days begin tomorrow at sunset, Desjardins translated. He must be kept safe. But we have to find our dad. I said, dangerous gods are on the loose out there. We saw Circuit and Set. At these names, Iskander's expression tightened. He turned and gave Desjardins what sounded like an order. Desjardins protested. Iskander repeated his statement. Desjardins clearly didn't like it, but he bowed to his master. Then he turned toward me. The chief lector wishes to hear your story. So I told him. With Sadie jumping in whenever I stopped to take a breath, the funny thing was, we both left out certain things without planning to. We didn't mention Sadie's magic abilities or the encounter with the Ba, who'd call me a king. It was like I literally couldn't mention those things. Whenever I tried, the voice inside my head whispered, Not that part. Be silent. When I was done, I glanced at Zia. She said nothing, but was studying me with a troubled expression. Iskander traced a circle on the top step with the butt of his staff. More hieroglyphs popped into the air and floated away. After several seconds, Desjardin seemed to grow impatient. He stepped forward and glared at us. You are lying. That could not have been set. He would need a powerful host to remain in this world. Very powerful. Look, you, Sadie said, I don't know what all this rubbish is about host, but I saw Set with my own eyes. You were there at the British Museum. You must have done, too. And if Carter saw him in Phoenix, Arizona, then she looked at me doubtfully. 
then he's probably not crazy. Thanks, sis, I mumbled, but Sadie was just getting started. And as for Sir Cat, she's real too. Our friend, my cat, Bass, died protecting us. So, Desjardin said coldly, you admit to consorting with gods. That makes our investigation much easier. Bast is not your friend. The gods caused the downfall of Egypt. It's forbidden to call on their powers. Magicians are sworn to keep the gods from interfering in the mortal world. We must use all our power to fight them. Bast said you were paranoid, Sadie added. The magician clenched his fist and the air tingled with the weird smell of ozone, like during a thunderstorm. The hairs on my neck stood straight up, but before anything bad could happen, Zia stepped in front of us. Lord Desjardins, she pleaded, there was something strange. When I ensnared the scorpion goddess, she reformed almost instantly. I could not return her to the duot, even with the seven ribbons. I could only break her hold on the host for a moment. Perhaps the rumors of other escapes... What other escapes? I asked. She glanced at me reluctantly. Other gods, many of them, released since last night from artifacts all over the world like a chain reaction. Zia! Does Darden snapped. That information is not for sharing. Look, I said, Lord, Sir, whatever. Bass warned us this would happen. She said Set would release more gods. Master, Zia pleaded, if Ma'at is weakening... If Set is increasing chaos, perhaps that is why I could not banish Serket. Ridiculous, Desjardin said. You are skilled, Zia, but perhaps you were not skilled enough for this encounter. And as for these two, the contamination must be contained. Zia's face reddened. She turned her attention to Iskander. Master, please, give me a chance with them. You forget your place. Desjardin snapped. These two are guilty and must be destroyed. My throat started closing up. I looked at Sadie as if we had to make a run for it down that long hall. I didn't like our chances. The old man finally looked up. He smiled at Zia with true affection. For a second, I wondered if she were his great-great-great-granddaughter or something. He spoke in Greek, and Zia bowed deeply. Desjardins looked ready to explode. He swept his robes away from his feet and marched behind the throne. The Lord Chief Lecter will allow Zia to test you, he growled. Meanwhile, I will seek out the truth, or the lies, in your story. You will be punished for the lies. I turned to his canter and copied Zia's bow. Sadie did the same. Thank you, Master, I said. The old man studied me for a long time. Again, I felt as if he were trying to burn into my soul. Not in an angry way, more out of concern. Then he mumbled something, and I understood two words. Nectanibo and Ba. He opened his hand, and a flood of glowing hieroglyphs poured out, swarming around the dais. There was a blinding flash of light, and then... When I could see again, the dais was empty. The two men were gone. Zia turned toward us, her expression grim. I will show you to your quarters. In the morning, your testing begins. 
We will see what magic you know and how you know it. I wasn't sure what she meant by that, but I exchanged an uneasy look with Sadie. Sounds fun, Sadie ventured. And if we fail this test? Zia regarded her coldly. This is not the sort of test you fail, Sadie Kane. You pass or you die. 